This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Are you having a good morning? Praise the Lord. It's wonderful. My name is Pastor Jim Howard, and I'll tell you a little bit about myself in a moment. Uh, Pastor Bradshaw has passed the baton to me this morning, and before there is an exit to the doors, let me just say that I heard Pastor Wes Peppers yesterday morning talk about how the Adventist church has become a celebrity house, and I know that it would guilt you to your very core if you walked out now because Pastor Bradshaw is not here. So, thank you for joining, and uh, you're going to be blessed, I believe, for today's seminar I'm going to ask that God especially give us His Spirit, because we're going to need it for the transformation and the reformation that we're going to be talking about today. So if you bow your heads with me, I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Loving Father in Heaven, we're so grateful. We know that each one of us here is totally indebted to You for our very life and for the opportunity that we have in ministry And I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts today. We're in need of something that perhaps we don't know. I pray that you would take away the blindness that may exist, that you would give us open hearts, that you would help us, each one, to be teachable. And in everything we do, Lord, we're praying that our hearts would be drawn nearer to you and pulled into harmony with you. So bless us to this end. We know that you are going to hear and answer our prayer to send the Holy Spirit because you promised to do so and because we're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you a little bit of a review of where we have gone so far. How many of you are here for the first time at this seminar? Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a little, a little preview. Fortunately, what Pastor Bradshaw has been sharing thus far are simple steps to finishing God's work. And since they're simple, I can... I can condense them very easily for you. The first step that we talked about was to yield to God. That is, tell God, I'm totally available. Make yourself available to God. The second step, which was in the second session, was to be filled with the Spirit of God. In order to be filled with the Spirit of God, the primary component of that is asking to be filled with the Spirit of God. So that was session number two. This is going quickly. Session number three was even more simple. It was do something. So, session one, yield, say, I'm available to you, God. Session two was, well, I need the Spirit of God. I may be available, but I need the Spirit of God if I'm going to do anything of any benefit to anyone. And session three was, okay, do something. If if work is going to be finished, there's one primary thing that it's going to require. Work. Right? In order to finish the work, we're going to have to... Work. That's exactly right. Now, before I, I'm going to go into that by way of introduction. Before I do, let me just tell you that this hideous contraption on my finger, and it just happens to be on my middle finger, so it's highly offensive, and I understand that. But I broke my finger playing basketball, and I have a head elder who is a hand surgeon, and I went to see him, and I thought, oh, he's going to put one of those cute little splints on my finger. And it's all going to be fine. And I got there and he said, oh, that's broken. It's split right through and we're going to have to put a pin in it. I said, a pin in it? 
I've heard of a pin going in your leg, big bones, but I've never heard of a pin going in your finger. I said, what do you mean you're going to put a pin in it? He said, there's going to be a pin sticking out of your finger. I chuckled. He was serious. The nurse said, when should we schedule it? He said, today. On we went into the room, numbed my finger, used some sort of thing that required a battery, because he said, nurse, I need a new battery. I don't know what it was. I was staring at the ceiling. And he put this pin in my finger, and he said, now take a look. And he showed me the x-ray machine, and there was my finger, the bone perfectly straight again and together, but there was this clear, like looked like a wire going right out my finger and off the x-ray machine. And then he clipped it and put a little blue ball on it, and now I have to wear this little splint just to keep from knocking it into things. When I get back from GYC, I'm going to be so happy, happier than any of you, because I get my pin out when I get home from GYC. So anyway, lest there be questions, I wanted to let you know this is not permanent. It will come off. Now, let me talk to you about where we're picking up with this seminar, because we talked in session three about the need to do something. And I need to tell you a little bit about myself in order to help you understand why you, young people, can do something. My parents left the Seventh-day Adventist Church when I was about nine years old. It was during the time of the Ford movement. Some of you are familiar with that. Um, My dad was already independent thinking, as it were, and uh, he kind of took it to a a degree that was not healthy. And uh, it wasn't long before he didn't feel that we needed to go to church or whatever. We moved to Missouri uh, from Ohio, and there in Missouri... Uh, We didn't go to church, and we didn't talk about God, and that's how it was until I was 22 years old, and I just out of curiosity decided to read my Bible. Now, I didn't remember anything about being an Adventist except for singing Kumbaya around the campfire. Nothing. But when I read my Bible at the age of 22, no Bible worker came to my house. I never saw an evangelistic meeting. Nothing like that. I read my Bible in the basement of my parents' home while going to Ohio State University, and the Lord totally changed my life, totally turned it upside down. And uh, the problem was I went to the closest Adventist church, because that's what I was when I was a little boy. I didn't know anything about the Adventist church, but I figured, hey, there must have been something right about it. I went there, even though I had some of these, you know, my parents had thrown out all the little red books. Do you guys know what the little red books are? Okay, Ellen White books, but they're no longer red. But they threw them all out. And so I had some negativity still in my mind about some things about the Adventist church, but I I think that I had this idea that the Sabbath was probably true, even though I didn't know the first thing about it from the Bible. And so we went to an Adventist church. The fascinating thing about it was, when we went to that Adventist church, it was a mission church. Its mission was to reach burnt-out Adventists and young people. And... uh, I didn't realize when we were going that they themselves were burnt-out Adventists. You know what I'm talking about? They didn't really believe what Seventh-day Adventists believed. We never got Bible studies from them, nothing. We basically had to study. I say we because I have a brother in the Michigan Conference as well. I'm pastoring in the Michigan Conference, and I have a brother who pastors there as well. And He's also the director of Emmanuel Institute, a soul-winning training school for the Michigan Conference. And we both had our conversion experience at the same time. So we were both going to this uh, church, and we had to study ourselves into the understanding of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Then there was no real ministry going on in this church, and we just felt compelled. And I remember going to camp meeting, Ohio camp meeting, and seeing Elder David Grams, Pastor Grams, and we just loved sitting in his meeting on the sanctuary. We had never heard biblical teaching before. 
And we were so amazed. And we went to him afterwards and we said, what can we do? Is there anything we can do ministry-wise? And he said, well, I'll tell you what you could do. Some people do. You can call the media ministries that exist in the Adventist church. Can you name one of those? 3ABN. It is written. Voice. What was that? Okay. We've got, we've got lots of them now, but at the time, all we had was amazing facts, it is written, voice of prophecy. That's what, and you can call and get them to send you a list of people who have called in for books or whatever, and then you can follow up on them. We thought, wow, we thought we were the first ones who ever did it. And so we got the phone numbers and we called them up. By the way, uh, John's not here right now. Pastor Bradshaw's not in yet, is he? Okay, I've, good, I'll talk about him. So anyway, it is written, one of the big problems with them, especially back then, was they never purged their names. Do you know what I mean by that? Like somebody could have called 10 years ago and they showed up on our list. So just about every other house that we went to was some perfect stranger. And we, but we kept records. We had, I still have the binder at home. We called ourselves Highways and Hedges Ministries. That's right. Not a single thought about a church office. Not a single thought about being involved on the church board. Do you understand what I'm saying? We just said, we've got to do something. We figured out something we'd do, and we went to do it. And I've for so long said, oh, I pity the people that we went and visited. But my brother recently reminded me that there was one family that became baptized because of our efforts. And I had forgotten about them because they were at a different church where they got baptized. But So, it's not... Even when you're just a novice, God will use you. And the fascinating thing is, we were never trained. We just figured it out. And then we ordered these amazing facts Bible studies, and we started meeting people from our church that were interested, and we started a small group Bible study, and I used these amazing facts Bible study guides. I'd never been trained how to do it. I just figured it out. And then the other thing that we did, and I'll tell you, I didn't, nobody had to ask me to do it. We went to all the prayer meetings and Bible studies at the church. Because we were excited about the Lord. So we went to them all. And soon, when we went to them all, guess what happened? They made me the personal ministries leader. And then they made me an elder. And then the finance committee chairman. And then the church board chairman. In the matter of a few years. And let me just say something. And I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a moment. To our young people, I hear, and Pastor Bradshaw alluded to it, this concept of wanting our young people to get involved in the local church. And he made the point that, you know, any pastor would say, there's no, there's no truth to the fact that young people are, are being excluded from the local church. But I would go a step further. We make a fatal mistake, and this culture is building, not only in you know, far out circles, but in GYC circles and all kinds of conservative circles and you name it. And the thought is this, that if you want to be involved, you have to preach a sermon or you have to be on the church board or something like that. Let me just be very clear with you about something. No one is going to ask you to serve in a church office if you do not attend church functions. Please, young people, Go to the meetings of the church. And I guarantee you that when they see this young person coming to prayer meeting every week, contributing, 
being active. When they have a business meeting, the young person is there. When there's a Bible study, the young person's there. When there's something of interest, the young person's asking questions. I promise you, you don't have to ask to be on the church board. You don't have to ask to be an elder or a personal ministry leader or a Sabbath school teacher. It will not be long. And they will come right to you. But don't think that you can just say, hey, I want to have my own independent Raha ministry and not simply do the simple involvement with what I call the ministry of attendance. Young people, the ministry of attendance has somehow missed us. Show up to prayer meeting. Show up to Sabbath school. Be there. And if you're there, it will not take long. No one is going to want to put you into a church office or into being a voice on the church board when you are not integrated and don't show that you love being a part of the church just because you love the Lord. You understand the difference? If you're involved with someone, you know, we use that term, being getting involved. We're, uh, me and so-and-so, we're involved. What does that mean when you finally get to that point where, oh, you're getting pretty involved? What does that mean? You're spending lots of time together, aren't you? Boy, they're getting pretty involved. Every time I call him, she's with them. I don't know what's going on. Involvement, first and foremost, has to do with the affections of the heart. It has to do with you wanting to be there whether you're in charge or not. And see, this is the real heart. I wish that instead of having appeals at GYC that you would take a year off and be a missionary somewhere. And instead of having appeals at GYC that you would, you know, start some grand city revival, some yet another conference, I wish that we would have stern appeals, that you would show some affection for the local church and become involved by attending and showing your love for what's happening there and for the Lord Himself. I could keep going, but i gotta, I got to move on. So, this all happened, and I was... All, everything I ha- that happened to me, I was never trained. In fact, then I was involved in the local church for 10 years, getting involved in evangelism and everything else, then Ohio has this bivocational, they used to, bivocational pastoral program. And so people were starting to tell me, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And I finally talked to my wife and I decided to do it. I was in accounting finance. I was a plant controller. And for 14 years, I was in, in uh, industry. And so I was able at that time to maintain that job and serve as a pastor. But as serve as a pastor, what do you have to do? Well, you have to baptize people. You have to officiate communion. You have to dedicate babies. They asked me to do all that stuff when I got in there. And what do you think I did? I just figured it out. I got the minister's handbook and I read it. And I called a couple people. No training. I was there for a few years and I started getting some calls from people wanting me to get in full-time ministry. And I ended up accepting a call to the Michigan conference. I never went to Arise. I never went to any of the evangelism schools. I sat at the feet of Louis Torres at camp meeting. That's about the best I can tell you. I read books. I studied. I listened. I cared. 
But when it all came down, please don't tell Elder Gallimore this. He's right across the hall. But I had no training. I just figured it out. And then after a couple years in the Michigan Conference, they moved me down to Detroit, made me a pastor of a large church, said I would be the district superintendent mentoring the pastors in the Detroit area. Now, I have to tell you, when I first started having to train elders in my church and mentor pastors in my district, I struggled with it a little bit. You know why? There was a little bitty part of me that just wanted to say something to them. Just figure it out. Just figure it out. There was a part of me that wanted to say that. Now, I know now, I know better. I'm, I'm glad that I do, because now I have an associate pastor who I'm training. I want his parents to know that I have no part of that. I, I love training an associate pastor. But there is a part of me that still today recognizes that no one gets anywhere without something that young people, you need to have if this work is ever going to be finished. And before I get overly practical, I need to talk to you about a principle. And this principle is what I call the active virtues. How many of you want to be Christ-like? Yes, yes, I want to be Christ-like too. What does that mean? What does it look like to be Christ-like? Give me some characteristics. Caring, thank you. Unselfish. Preaching good tidings, gracious. Okay, okay, and I heard one that's, uh, that's bending a little bit, but, I, but 95% of what I heard, I'm going to tell you what you just shared with me. You shared with me half of the character of Christ. And it's the half we always talk about. But I'm going to talk to you about a half of the character of Christ that if we don't get it right, we will never finish the work that God has called us to. I have to go to my trusty phone to read it to you. You heard of the book, Ministry of Healing? There's a chapter in there called Development and Service. And I'm going to read just a little bit out of this chapter, if you will just bear with me. This is on page 497. Christian life is more than many take it to be. Hey, that's what I was just saying. It does not consist wholly in gentleness, patience, meekness, and kindliness. Isn't that what we were saying Christ was? Gracious, loving, compassionate, caring. It does not consist wholly in that. These graces are essential, but there is need also of courage, force, energy, and perseverance. The path that Christ marks out is a narrow, self-denying path. To enter that path and press on through difficulties and discouragements requires men who are more than weaklings. Now listen. Men of stamina are wanted. Men who will not wait to have their way smoothed and every obstacle removed. Men who will inspire with fresh zeal the flagging efforts of dispirited workers. Men whose hearts are warm with Christian love and whose hands are strong to do their master's work. But some who engage in missionary service are weak, nerveless, spiritless, easily discouraged. They lack push. What do they lack? I like that word. They lack push. They have not those positive traits of character that give power to do something. The spirit and energy that kindle enthusiasm. Those who would win success must be courageous and hopeful. They should cultivate not only the passive, 
caring, compassionate, gracious. But the active virtues, courage, force, a power to do something. Some have no firmness of character. Their plans and purposes have no definite form and consistency. Their plans and purposes have no definite form and consistency. They are but little practical use in the world. Now, let me say something about that. There are many who are of very little use in the world because their plans are weak. They're weak. They don't have that courage and power to do something. Now, I'm going to talk about plans in just a moment. First, I'm going to read a statement to you that I think you need to uh, remember. There's a reason I went through all of that about my own experience, and that's because many of you are probably not trained either. Am I right about that? That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. Now, if you want to get training because it makes you feel better, then I'm all for it. In fact, I'm going to tell you about ways that you can do that. I believe in that. But it's still not an excuse. Listen to this from the book Education, page 268. In this work, as in every other, skill is gained in the work itself. Without this, the best-meant efforts are often useless and even harmful. It is in the water not on the land that men learn to swim. Wow. What is that telling us? That's telling us that right now, sitting in this class, you may be absorbing, but you're not really learning. You learn in the water how to swim, not on the land. It's safe in this room. I know, there's no need for a life jacket. But let me tell you what, you're not learning how to swim. Not until you do something and the work will not be finished unless the active virtues of Christ begin to be embraced and people get over and begin to overcome those traits of character that cause them to sit as logs, and sit there indecisively, unwilling to do anything. Don't formulate any plans. Oh, we love that. We love to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit coming. Pray for the Holy Spirit. And, Pastor, let's not... We spend too much time planning. What we need is to be praying for the Holy Spirit. If we pray for the Holy Spirit, He'll take over. Friends, He will not take over. He has given that to you to do. And when you choose to plan, when you choose to roll up your sleeves and to to decide how and, and develop plans for how you are going to be in active service for God, then the Holy Spirit can use you. Let me say a little something about that from the Bible. Do you have your Bibles? Take your Bible and turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We like him, right? Because Nehemiah did some good stuff. He was all about reformation, which is what we're about too. Amen? So here's Nehemiah in chapter 1. Nehemiah is praying for his people. 
he finds out, he gets word that the, that the uh, walls of Jerusalem are broken down, burned with fire, and he's all a mess. He stands before the king, he, he uh, decides that he might just do something about this, he prays uh, while he's standing before the king and asks for supplies, the king grants it to, the, to him, then he makes his way to Jerusalem. And during the night, while no one is around, he rides around Jerusalem and checks out what's going on. What do you think he was doing? He was planning. He was going around and he was taking an inventory of exactly what needed to happen. And he was evaluating it so much so that I want you to see what happens in chapter 3. Look at Nehemiah chapter 3. It says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests and built what? The sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and next to them, etc., etc., etc. And he starts laying out all the people next to them, next to them, next to them, next to them, until you get to the end of chapter 3 and verse 31, and it says, After him... Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of Nethanim and of the merchants in front of the Mephkad gate and in, as far as the upper room at the corner. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Where did we read the sheep gate? That was at the beginning. What did we just do? We just went our way all the way around the wall, didn't we? Not one spot on the wall was left unbuilt. There was not one spot that didn't have somebody assigned to it. Nehemiah had, in a detailed way, laid plans for that wall to be built. And do you know why those people were so willing to get behind him? It was because of those detailed plans. It was because he had made sense of it for them. He had, he had developed a plan. He wasn't just saying, let's pray and ask God to do it. No, he was going to be involved himself in doing it. And those are some pretty detailed plans. Let me show you what Spirit of Prophecy has to say about this. This example, speaking of Nehemiah, of wise forethought and resolute action should be a lesson to all Christians. God's children are not only to pray in faith, but to work with diligent and provident care. They encounter many difficulties and often hinder the work of providence in their behalf because they regard prudence, that's carefulness, uh, caution, and details, and painstaking effort as having little to do with religion. Nehemiah did not regard his duty done when he had wept and prayed before the Lord. He united his petitions with holy endeavor, putting forth earnest, prayerful efforts for the success of the enterprise in which he was engaged. Careful consideration, and what's that say? Well-matured plans are as essential to the carrying forward of sacred enterprises today as in the time of rebuilding Jerusalem's walls. Painstaking effort and well-laid plans. I can't tell you how many committees I've sat in where somebody has said, what we need to do is this. And everybody says, yes, that's what we need to do. And we all feel better that we now know what we need to do. But in order to actually do it, it's going to require somebody, you know, it's, it's, it's getting mundane to actually do it. And so we don't lay well-laid plans. 
Why is it that we need them though? Why can't we just come to GYC and get spiritually charged and then see the work finished? Well, I'm not exactly sure why, but I know we can't. Because check this quote out from Christian Service, page 58. It is evident. What's the word evident mean? Clear, obvious. That all the sermons that have been preached have not developed a large class of self-denying workers. Is that obvious? I think that's obvious. All the evangelistic meaning sermons, all the seminar sermons, all the most piercing, spirit-filled, what can I say, convicting sermons at GYC, all of them, add them all up. They've not developed a large class of self-denying workers. This subject is to be considered as involving the most serious results. Our future for eternity is at stake. The churches are withering up because they have failed to use their talents in diffusing light. Careful instruction should be given, which will be as lessons from the Master that all may put their light to practical use. What type of instruction? Careful instruction. What does careful instruction conjure up in your mind? Plans? Details? Does it sound a little like that? In other words, we speak so lofty. We're always speaking so lofty about what needs to be done and nobody knows what to do. Somehow, we've got to get to the point where preaching conviction is not where we stop. But we have to get past that thought that it's not really spiritual to get into the details and come up with ways and devise plans that can truly accomplish the work that God's given us to do. And this is why Ellen White makes this point. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Now, I believe that we have a problem. Because I think that it would be nice if a small portion of our churches were training schools for Christian workers. But we're not even there. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. We can pray about the end all we want. Revival and Reformation. But God's not going to just make our plans for us. He's not going to do that. We're going to need to start getting practical. And I hope, you know, sometimes speakers are inspiring. John Bradshaw is incredibly inspiring. I wish I had half the stories that that man has. I mean, God brings him stories through his children. And I I guess I have stories through my children. I have my daughter here in in the crowd. But they don't seem to fit like his stories. I don't know what happens. But his story fit perfectly into his presentation. And he just goes from one story to the next story and he can inspire the heart. Let me say something. I believe that in order for us to really learn, we have to learn in a certain way. Now with John Bradshaw, you can enjoy his presentation whether you want to learn this way or not, because he's good. With me, you might only enjoy it if you actually want what you're going to get out of it. So bear with me, because I'm going to tell you how you should be listening and learning. Ella White says that we should learn with the object in view of imparting to others. 
Now let me tell you the difference. Suppose you came to church and you heard a sermon on the subject of how there's no eternally burning hell. Well, you'd listen for about two minutes and then you'd probably check out. Because why? You've already heard that before. You already know, right? Right? Okay, but if the day before you were talking to your coworker and your coworker was a Baptist young man, and he said, hey, listen, you know, you've talked to him about religious things before. He knows you're spiritual. He's got this little Baptist church, and he says, my dad normally teaches the, the Sunday school, and, uh, and he can't be there. And I've been telling him about you and how you, you know, talk a lot about the Bible. And, that sort of and I was wondering if you would want to come and teach our Sunday school for us. Just lead it out for us. We're talking about the subject of hell. Now, he tells you that on Friday, and you show up to church on Sabbath. And the preacher stands up and he says, today we're going to talk about the eternal conscious torment of the wicked and why that's not true. Now, are you going to check out after two minutes? You're going to have your notebook out. The pen is ready. You're going to be taking notes. If you miss something, you're going to go up to the preacher afterwards. You're going to say, what was that reference? I need that reference. Why? Because you're learning with the object in view of what? Imparting to others. Friends, when you learn, don't learn like a dummy. Learn like someone who has the object in view of sharing it with someone. And guess what? You'll actually learn it. So, I hope that you'll bear with me and have the object in view of doing something with your local church. Not everything I'm going to share with you over the course of the rest of the seminar is going to be uh, something that you may even be able to fully influence. But I'm going to give you tools, I'm going to give you ideas, and I'm going to give you helpful Uh, concepts so that you can understand what the local church should look like and begin moving in that direction. All right? Is that fair enough? Let's look for a moment at the local church. Here is a model of the work of the local church. You all see that? Okay, good. I'll read it. Up at the top it says church work. You can see the boxes, can't you? That's all you need to see. Hold on. I'm going to give you a handout here in a minute. Now, the church work. I've got up here that 50% 50% of the members are workers. What do you think? Is that right? Uh, why, how many do you think? Tens. We have some negative Nellies in the crowd. What's that? 20? Some of you were thinking 20-80 rule, right? That comes to mind. Okay, but let's keep in mind that not, not all work is 20-80 kind of work. There's other work that people do that we don't really consider work. You know what I'm saying? So let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say 50% of the members are working. And they've got different types of work that they do. This model shows you the different types of work that a church does. This is the mission of the church. This is the work of the church right here on this page. Now, the first thing is preparing for ministry. There's lots of work that happens in a local church that's just preparing for ministry. I call it behind-the-scenes work. What does that include? Well, a lot, a whole lot of meetings. Now, I, I listen to some people, and they're like, man, I hate meetings. Let's just do the work. Please. The only way for us to accomplish anything is to meet. The people who really don't want to meet are the people who don't want to work. Let's be honest. All right, now I'm going to get over that. Now, Personal spiritual preparation, that's behind-the-scenes work. That does require time and work. Business meetings, board meetings, 
departmental meetings like Sabbath school council and personal ministries council and all that kind of stuff. Church plant duties. You have people who are mowing and you have people who are keeping up with, with the decorations and, 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 and cleaning and all those things. It's all part of the work. Administrative duties. You have treasury work. You have secretarial work. That's all kinds of stuff that happens behind the scenes, isn't there? Now that's all for the purpose of feeding into ministry, planning for ministry, preparing for ministry. And that ministry falls into two categories. Some churches only have this category. And let's let's start there. Ministry to the church. Now, I put in here, just for those who want to naysay me, there is an open invitation to the community with these things. That would be things like the worship service. Is that ministry to the church? But there's an open invitation to the community. We get some uh, stragglers, right? Prayer meeting, who's that for? The church, basically. You might get some others to come in. Sabbath school, same thing. What about the church school? Uh, uh, uh. Well, here's where we get into a little trouble. Because we have a lot of people who they have all these things, worship service, prayer meeting, Sabbath school, church school, fellowship meals, etc. And we say to them, all you have is ministry of the church. Where's your evangelism? And they say, our church school is our evangelism. And uh, I hope that I don't cause any problems here, but I'm going to say what I feel. And that is that the church school is not and never has been, go back to our pioneers, back to the book education, has never been evangelism. It has evangelistic elements to it in that there may be some who are not Adventists who are learning and may come into the church through that avenue, just like prayer meeting or Sabbath school or the rest. But it is not primarily evangelistic. It is primarily to train evangelists. The church school is not primarily to evangelize. The church school is primarily to establish the identity and purpose and mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church into the hearts of our young people so that they are missionaries when they leave. Right? So if a church has a church school, but they don't have active outreach then what's really happening? Well, you can't train your kids in the church school to be actively engaged in outreach when your church isn't doing it. Right? So it totally has thwarted the whole plan of Adventist education. So please, do not say that the church school is our evangelism. It has evangelistic elements. I'll grant you that. But no, it is not primarily evangelistic. It's to train evangelists. That's its primary purpose. And all of these things are primarily for the edification and equipping of the church. And there are some churches that that's all they have. These two boxes. But there are some that are overachievers. And they also have ministry to where? To the community. With, of course, an open invitation to the church. And so we have Bible seminars and events. That's like evangelistic meetings, right? We have coordinated group outreach events. That's like GYC in our coordinated outreach that we had. There's health seminars and events, community service work, vacation Bible school, and the rest. These are all ministering to the community. Can you see just how much work is going on here? This is an incredible amount of work that happens in your local church. Did you know that? But you know what I'm going to tell you? This church is in an entire need of reformation. This, this model is broken. 
Where's my handout guy? Come on, O-Stop. I need you. Oh, we got two. All right. See how slow they're walking? Come on, guys. Let's go. Right here. And Mark. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm starting to call on people I know. All right. I'm gonna, we're going to pass out some stuff to you, but, but first I'm just going to ask you. Somebody tell me what you think is missing in this model of church. They're not smiling? Oh, these? I'm not talking about them. What's missing in these three <laughs> fine gentlemen's work? Well, there's a few things missing. Let me delineate them for you. Now, I'm talking about this model up here. Not this model right here. This model up here. What's missing in this model of church? Discipling. I appreciate that. There's evangelism happening. Okay, what was that? Witnessing. Who said relational something? Relational ministry? Okay, I'm going to show it to you. You ready? You're going to see it on the handout, and I can't fit it all, so you're going to see the top of this, and then down below you're going to see the missing component. You ready? Are you ready? I only have two of you ready. Okay. Personal work. Did you know that the most important element... I, I, guys, I need one of those too. Oh, you left them right here. The most important element in the local church has always been personal work. What can you tell me about this box and the outreach that's going on here? What is similar about everything in there? Somebody say that a little louder. Who said it? For groups. Do you see that? I call it corporate. Corporate outreach. Right? There's a whole bunch of corporate outreach going on in this church. What happens after the evangelistic meeting is over? What happens to the interest list? You're like, I don't know. I always wondered that. Right? I don't know. What happens to that interest list? It ends up somewhere. Whose fault is that? (laughs) That's our fault, right? Let me tell you something. We've got it backwards on how the church is structured, the local church. Let me just say, when the pastor says, hey, come out to the evangelistic meeting, and you say, I'm going to go to the evangelistic meeting because I really feel like I need to support the pastor and I need to support the church. Hey, God bless you. But that's not what's happening. The church is supporting you in your work. Because you, as a disciple of Christ, are called to personal ministry. You don't know who you're going to minister to. You don't have someone in your own sphere who maybe is is open to truth. And so you need some help with that, right? And so the church provides things for you so that you can meet someone that you can begin to engage with and actually minister to in what God has called you to do. The church is supporting you in the events that it holds. But the core of the local church is personal ministry, personal work. Look at this quote. When an effort is made to present our faith to unbelievers, the members of the church too often do what? Stand back back as if they were not 
an interested party and let all the burden rest upon the minister. But you know, it wasn't always that way. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, let's go look there for just a minute. Take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Am I done at 10.45? Is that my time? Yes, thank you. Okay. Acts chapter 8 and verse... uh, 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Have you found it? The Bible says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except who? The apostles. So there's this great persecution, and everyone was scattered except one group of people. Who were they? The pastors, right? So everyone was scattered except for the pastors. The pastors were where? Speak to me. Headquarters in Jerusalem. Okay? Now notice verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered, who's that? That's the lay people. Went everywhere doing what? Preaching the Word. Now, what's fascinating about this is that if you keep going in the book of Acts, and I'm not going to go through in detail, but if, in, if you were just browse later in Acts chapter 11, you find out that those who were scattered made their way all the way over to Antioch. Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and they were preaching the Word. Same group of lay people. And then, news got back to headquarters. Oh my goodness, there's something going on. We better send some of the brethren. And so they sent some of the brethren. They sent Paul, eventually, they sent Barnabas. And they go, and Barnabas checks out Antioch, and he sees what's going on, and he says, keep doing it. This is great. And they kept doing it. So much so, that at Antioch, was where they were first called Christians. How did we get the name Christian? Because lay people in the early church were driving the work. I want you to be clear about something. This top box, which represents the work of the church, is the structure of the church. This personal ministry is the substance, the primary substance. The substance in the book of Acts is what drove the structure. When we first started, when the early church started, they were basically this. They were just personal ministry. And the personal ministry caused the church to grow... And as they basically shared the biblical evidence for their faith and convinced people to believe it, as that happened, the church began to grow and they saw need of structure to support what was happening in the personal ministry. But today what's happened is the structure has substituted the personal ministry. We have a problem. We have a very, very big problem. I don't know how many of you know that Ellen White says a lot about pastors not hovering over the churches. But in North America, our churches are pastor-centric. We cannot leave. And I'm not encouraging pastors to just 
jump ship and say, okay, now survive on your own. That doesn't work. There needs to be a, a working together, and we're in a different environment than they were in, when the early pioneers were going from town to town. We are in a different environment. But there still needs to be a change in the model back to the biblical model. Now, you have something with you there called a Q&A on the revival of personal soul winning. Do you see that? <clears throat> Q&A on the revival of personal soul winning. Do you see it? All right. Have it in your hand because I'm going I'm to reference it right now. <clears throat> I want to show you a few things. That first question, did Jesus encourage personal work? That's pretty clear. Um, he said, hey, we need laborers in the harvest. Let's get them out there. Go into the highways and hedges. Go get people. Um, Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles, that third quote there, in all his work he was training them for what kind of labor? Individual labor. Now, we've been praying for revival and reformation, right? And what we want for revival and reformation is to get rid of the Xboxes and get people off of whatever... And that's what's in our mind with Reformation, is personal Reformation of habits and, and that sort of thing. But I believe that the Reformation needs to be expanded in our minds to actually represent a change or a Reformation in the model of what we know as church. And, and until we get that, we can be praying and praying and praying for the Reformation, but unless we know what the Reformation is going to lead to, we may miss it altogether. It just might not ever come. So I'm going to show you what a revival and a reformation will actually look like from the pen of inspiration. Are you ready? Let's start in that first one. What will be the result of revival and reformation? When churches are revived, it is because some what? Some individual seeks earnestly for the blessing of God. Now, what does she mean? What does she mean seeks earnestly for the blessing of God? Is, are they studying harder? Probably. Are they praying harder? Perhaps. But notice what she specifically says they are doing in seeking for the blessing of God. He does what? Goes to work in earnest, feeling his great dependence upon the Lord, and souls are aroused to seek for a like blessing. In other words, they're going to seek a blessing by doing what? Going to work. And a season of refreshing falls on the hearts of men. Personal, individual effort and interest for your friends and neighbors will accomplish much more than can be estimated. It is for the want of this kind of labor that souls for whom Christ died are perishing. How about that? Now, that's revival. What about reformation? Check this out. In vision. In visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. A great reformation. What did the reformation look like when God showed it in vision to Ellen White? Hundreds. And thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. You can pray for reformation all you want, but until you recognize that reformation is going to involve getting you to be one of those who will share the biblical evidence for your faith with others, that Reformation will never come. The Reformation that we need is a Reformation of personal ministry amongst the members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let me tell you what. These hundreds and thousands that were seen visiting families are not the ordained ministry. We don't have that many. 
Do you follow what I'm saying? This reformation, if we really want it, it's going to have to involve the lay people of the Seventh-day Adventist church reclaiming the sense that the mission of the three angels is their mission. And I want to share with you some quotes to just make that come home a little bit stronger. First of all, corporate church outreach. Is it important? Hey, is, uh, is all that important? Yeah, I still believe it's important. And some people say, you know what, we need to stop having evangelistic meetings and just, you know, do personal friendship evangelism. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous because there are things that we can do corporately that we simply can't do individually. And that's why we need that. However, it's not the sum and substance. It's actually supportive of the main work of the church. And I want to prove that to you on this next quote. Whoops. Okay, next quote. Corporate church outreach and personal outreach are both important, but which is most important? Your work may accomplish more real good than the more extensive meetings. That's the corporate stuff. If they lack in personal effort. When both are combined with the blessing of God, a more perfect and thorough work may be wrought. Isn't that good? When you combine them, that's the best of both worlds. But, if we can have but one part done, we can only do one thing. What should it be? Let it be the individual labor. What type of individual labor? What type of individual labor? Opening the scriptures in the households. Making personal appeals. And talking familiarly with the members of the family about the Seahawks. Not about things of little importance, but of the great themes of redemption. If we can have one thing done. Look, young people, don't worry about setting up a new... I need to be careful. Grand ministry. Don't worry about setting up some new conference over in wherever. Do you know what? Sometimes it's easier to set up a large conference than to win a soul to Christ. And we have all kinds of people who are taking that out. Let me tell you something. We've got a few problems in our church. We've got people who say, you know what? I'm too busy. I'm already involved in Pathfinders. I'm already involved in Sabbath school. I, I, I'm, I'm working for the Lord. Yes, but we need to remember something. And Ellen White's crystal clear about this. We need to be ministering in two distinct ways as God's people. For the church and for the community. And witnessing, as Mark Finley so eloquently puts it, witnessing is not a spiritual gift. What I'm telling you is that your role, I have elders who have told me that. You know what, Pastor? Maybe you need a separate team to do this Bible study ministry that you're talking about. I say, listen, you're an elder. You can articulate. You're experienced. If anybody should be sharing the truth with others, it should be you. If you're too busy sitting on committees or platform or whatever, then I'll take some of that away. I don't care. I've gotten to the point where I need people who are willing to give a Bible study more than I need an elder. I mean, come on, young people. Quit looking for something big. If you have never won someone to Christ, get at it. Learn how to just give a Bible study. And if you don't know how to do it, go to Emmanuel or go to one of the training schools and get some 
something to make you feel a little bit better about it. But if you don't need that, then just go figure it out. But understand that it is the calling of every disciple of Christ. What is a disciple anyway? A follower, okay. Every disciple, Luke says, that is perfectly trained will be like his master. Why do you think they were following Jesus around? Did they just like him? Was that the only reason? What were they following around for? What were they doing? They were learning. Learning to do what? Learning to do what he did. What did he do? He won souls. He was ministering. Friends, disciples, ministers, by very definition, if you're a follower of Christ, you will be a fisher of men. If you're a follower of Christ, you will deny yourself. Take up your cross. Why did He take up a cross? To go and win souls. Dying, sacrificing for souls. Hey, let's think about that for a moment. Ellen White says, It is evident that all the sermons preached have not developed a large class of, does anybody remember? Self-denying workers. Oh, wait a minute. If anyone would follow after me, let him deny himself. What does that mean, follow after me? Who are those people? Disciples. And then, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's workers, right? Maybe what she's saying is, that we've not developed a large class of self-denying workers. A self-denying worker, if we look scripturally, is a disciple. And then I started thinking, wait a minute. Matthew 28 says, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. Oh my, have we not even been fulfilling the commission? Have we just been making church members? Are we done when we make church members? Or are we done when those church members begin to duplicate? But we have a theology of spiritual gifts that has put a blanket over the church. And it said, oh, my gift is administration. So God bless you as you go study with that interest. Here's my neighbor. He showed some interest. Would you mind studying with him? Right? Right? The Sabbath school teacher, oh, there's somebody in my class who's really good. I, I need to go talk to the personal ministries leader and see if there's someone that he knows that can take this Bible study. You study with them, right? You give them something to eat. That's what Jesus told the disciples. Look, we have got to get to the point where we recognize that this, this spiritual gift concept, this church office concept, all of these excuses that we give are in reality... Nothing more than excuses. And until we accept that, I'm promising you, until we accept that, this work will never be finished. We are to that point. And uh, I've given you some quotes for your own edification. And uh, we're out of time on this, so I'm going to be picking up in about five minutes. So I'm going to... Pick up a little bit here before I jump into the next section. Um, But let me tell you a little bit about what's going to come in the next section. I'm going to finish up a couple things. But then, do you notice this third handout that I gave you called The Four Characteristics of a Training Center Church? Ellen White says that we should have training center churches. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. This next session, I'm going to talk about how in your local church you can begin to develop 
a training center. These first two are what I'm going to talk about in the next session. Developing a great commission culture and having a functional church structure. And then on the last one, I'm going to talk about personal truth-sharing witnessing and how to put the members to work and uh, discipleship of new members. And I'm going to share you tools that in the Michigan Conference we have developed to disciple new members, to help develop um, a structure within our leadership that's actually committed to soul winning. And I hope that you have some interest to see some tools that you can take back to your own local church. All right, I'm going to dive in next time, uh, next time into where we left off, but let's finish this session with a word of prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the Bible that gives us such a clear picture of the work of the church. There we see, as souls were scattered who believed in you, their love for you led them to give the biblical evidence of their faith to others and persuade them to follow you. And somehow, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would just help us to see that your power is sufficient, that where we are weak, there you are strong, and you can help us to once more take on the model of the early church. Bless each person who's come here today. Lord, I don't know what they may want to be involved in, but help them to start by attending the functions of their local church. Help them to start by seeking to to give a Bible study to someone, even if it's just sharing DVDs with them. Whatever it takes, Lord, personal truth-sharing ministry, let it be revived in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This is our prayer. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.